You're listening to Paz de Chipotle, the show that will take you to discover the edible treasures of Mexico. Episode 25. Welcome to this episode of Paz de Chipotle, the audible companion of Sabor, This is Mexican Food, a digital magazine dedicated to exploring the markets, streets, recipes, and traditions that make Mexico an edible paradise. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food history writer, cook, and author. To find more information about the show, please go to pasdechipotle.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, and YouTube. Hola, beautiful hungry people. I hope you have enjoyed the previous episode about Mexican markets. If you haven't subscribed yet to Pasa Chipotle's YouTube channel, you can find a link on this episode's description. I included images about Mexica markets from loads of different codecs and maps that will transport you back in time of these great markets. While you enjoy today's episode, you can check out the link to my latest review of a book called Empires of Food, Feast, Famine and the Rise and Fall of Civilizations. <laughs> It's quite a mouthful, I know. Uh, but this is such a great book for anyone looking to make better sense of our food systems. You know, since we've been talking about markets, I thought this was a very ad hoc reading. You can also head directly to my website, pasachipotle.com, and click the link on the menu to the Books for Cooks section. Oh, and incidentally, in my newsletter, you will get all these great book reviews, updates, discounts, all straight into your inbox. All you have to do to subscribe is click the link on this episode's description, fill in the form, and you are ready to go. Patreon supporters of this show always get early access to the episode, along with special material and exclusive news. You can become a supporter of the show with just $1 a month on Patreon. Patreon is the largest platform that connects creators with great audiences like you. Go to patreon.com forward slash Chipotle Podcast to join the sponsor program. I have been working on the production of this market special for quite some time now, and at the end of this episode you will find out why. This final part is a very ambitious time capsule that picks up the story from where we left last time. And if you remember, it was just right the moment when the Spanish took control of the territory that is today modern Mexico. And in this episode, I will continue with the transcendent changes that took place during this colonial period and how agriculture changed and the role that class and race had influencing the shaping of Mexico's new cultural identity, in which markets and recipes, of course, mirrored every aspect of this transition. And last but not least, I have prepared something very special for you, is a top 10 my own selection of contemporary Mexican markets that I really consider essential and they're also accessible enough to join your bucket list of must-visit foodie places in Mexico.
Oh, I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about this one, so I'm not going to delay it anymore. I hope you enjoy this episode. The colonial period of Spanish domination in Mexico lasted almost 300 years. Okay, if you want to be very precise, 289 between the fall of Tenochtitlan, the ancient capital of the Mexica Empire in 1521, to the consummation of the Mexican independence in 1810. Big populations come with even bigger demands and the rapidly growing colonial society required more and more food supplies, and often the inability of the colonial government to meet those targets led to riots and constant uprisings. So, one of the biggest transformations and innovations that was introduced were to set different types of markets to cope with the demand, and so they created fixed markets to complement with the itinerant tianguis, or little markets that usually took place only on the weekends. These newly created markets quickly adapted to the new times and saw the rise of a whole new generation of specialized trades, at least new in the Americas, that manufactured anything and everything that was needed. Think of your modern needs, say furniture, kitchen supplies, clothes, shoes, tools, well, Back in the day, tailors, tanners, bakers, brewers, apothecaries, shoemakers, carpenters, they all had to use markets to sell their products. This was a perfect place where people could buy things. You might have heard the phrase, an army marches on its stomach. It couldn't really be more true, because no civilization has ever survived without food, and the lack of food resources saw the fall of many of such civilizations. It would be really impossible to talk about food supply and markets without really mentioning a few key aspects of the colonial agriculture, so I have highlighted a few important elements for you. And while the possession of land and control of the farming industry remained in the hands of the colonizers, the labor-intense farming process was carried at large by the oppressed indigenous population. Not surprisingly, this contributed to the already deep resentment towards the colonial regime. Echoes of this agricultural conflict reverberated all the way to the Mexican Revolution in 1910, but I won't get ahead of myself, just keep that in mind. As I mentioned before, in spite of the many political, ideological and racial divide, the fact was that natives and colonizers had to eat, and finding a way to achieve food security was in everybody's best interest. At the same time, the creation of many markets served the double purpose of facilitating food access to the masses, they became increasingly spaces of social interaction and exchange between Spanish and indigenous population. Interestingly, just like in this period many products from Mexico were disseminated globally and had a deep and life-changing impact in almost every cuisine in the world, think of tomatoes, cocoa, avocado, chiles, beans, corns and courgettes, just to mention some. 
Well, in this same time, Mexico equally received an unprecedented influx of produce that pretty quickly became staples in the markets, pantries, and of course, the fields and cookbooks. Now, speaking of cookbooks, what do we mean when we talk about Mexican food? Well, what we can historically call Mexican food is the actual fusion cuisine that took shape during the colonial period. That is, the mix of indigenous and European cuisines that before this moment they had next to nothing in common. Given the fact that the colonization itself was an abrupt and violent event. I guess it's fair to point out that there wasn't much of an idyllic exchange in the subsequent gastronomic transformation, and I will tell you why. The new and exponential growth of animal farming in the colony came hand in hand with the displacement of entire indigenous communities and with the systematic destruction of former agricultural lands, malnutrition and food scarcity soon became a major problem for marginalized indigenous communities. This is also a turning point for the shaping of the notion of the indigenous identity, and it was this historical moment when it was tainted by the associations of poverty and need as intrinsic characteristics of what it means to be indigenous. Interestingly, there are many documented cases of indigenous uprisings against the Spanish invaders that involved burning crops, bonds and destroying fields. Ironically, the Spanish population had constantly to rely on native crops to survive. That is, regardless of their taste preferences, culinary knowledge, you know, what to do with these crops, and even the physical capability to process certain foods. There are many contemporaneous personal recollections that gives us a glimpse about the ordeal that many Spaniards went through when eating corn and its arrived products for the first time, or the second, or the third, because they kept experiencing violent reactions like severe diarrhea, vomit and bloating. And also the indigenous population had severe difficulty adapting to certain foods like dairy, wheat, and eating meat on a regular basis. In fact, lactose intolerance and gluten-related allergies were very common afflictions amongst the native indigenous communities all across the Americas during the colonial period. Now, going back to these newly created markets, it is true that they opened a big opportunity to try unfamiliar products, but often cultural prejudices were an all-too-common obstacle. For instance, many Spaniards saw as inferior and even dangerous foods like insects and chilies. But centuries after into the colonial regime, and as the population became a mixed heritage society, food also began reflecting this change. And the most compelling evidence we have are family recipe scrapbooks that show, for instance, how indigenous tamales incorporated pig slot and Spanish stews became entirely dependent on tomatoes and chilies for their preparation. 
Now, the creation of fixed markets transformed deeply all the social dynamic of the ritualistic indigenous Tianquisli, but also created new economic and cultural opportunities for exchange, specifically street fairs that were made to coincide with Catholic festivities and were and are still used to boost local economies. And we're going to talk about that after this short break. Sabor, This is Mexican Food is a digital editorial project that celebrates the wonderful world of Mexican gastronomy, the flavors, ingredients, and traditions that have shaped this world-acclaimed cuisine. And now you can purchase and download a bundle containing the origins, cocoa, street food, and Mexican fiestas. Enjoy 23 thought-provoking articles and stunning photography that opens a window to understand and appreciate Mexico's rich culinary traditions and unveil the secrets to prepare 43 delicious recipes that bring families together and will help you enjoy the making of your own traditions. Go to pastachipotle.com forward slash magazine and get your bundle of sabor. Enjoy the magazine in all your digital devices. Go to pasachipotle.com forward slash magazine and get ready to cook, learn and enjoy Mexican food like you never imagined. Now, let's talk about more about the different types of markets that have existed and the unique purposes that each and one of them had throughout time. Because you can almost say that markets are mm, a living entity that adapts and flows responding to a society's needs. On the previous episode, I talked about the Tianquistli or Tianguis that took place on fixed days and places usually in the equivalent of a weekend. Now, this gave the chance to buyers and sellers to congregate at these important trade centers that usually took place in very cosmopolitan cities of the ancient world, like Cholula in Puebla, Tlatelolco, Xochimilco, and Tenochtitlan in the capital of the Aztec Empire. In modern cities of Mexico, you will still hear the word tianguis to refer to little itinerant markets. They just have a limited, but say, enough variety of products. Normally they settle for a few hours in parks or busy crossroads and sometimes at the entrance or exits of towns. Another type of markets created were the street fairs, as I mentioned before the break. And these fairs, or ferias, were and still are organized around the Catholic calendar. They also include crafts like pottery, uh, leather products, toys, clothes, and this gives artisans almost the only chance they have to sell their products beyond their workshops, as they usually come from remote towns in the countryside. Now, there is one type of market that ended along with the colonial system. And I think for the colonial society, this might have been the most exciting or at least exotic type of market. And I'm referring to parian. Parian is a Filipino expression which roughly translates as market. 
and the sole purpose of a parian was to sell imported products that came via the Pacific and Atlantic maritime trade routes that used to bring back all sorts of exotic products like fine pottery, fabrics, spices, furniture, oils, fashion accessories, birds, and even slaves. Now, the end of the Spanish domination meant a profound change in Mexico. The hard-earned independence that was finally won in 1810 dragged the country into a long period of social instability, invasions, wars, violent uprisings, two failed empires and one dictatorship. I think you get the picture, and I'll spare all the horrible details. In short, we went through really rough times. Now, between 1810 and 1910, we had a short period of economic and industrial development that again transformed the country when communication and transport systems literally, for the first time, connected all the nation. But sadly, the high social cost of the dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz, who created an impressive cotton industry, developed mining, built dozens of modern cities and created many public institutions, well, it was also responsible for deepening the economic gap between rich and poor. It is not surprising then that 100 years after the independence, all this historical social discontent finally became the Mexican Revolution of 1910. Now, I know it might seem like I'm taking a lengthy detour from just simply sticking to talk about the markets, but as I said before, to truly understand the nature and social relevance of Mexican markets, I think we must address their unbreakable relationship with agriculture. Consider this. The historical resentment of the destitution of ancestral lands really weighed heavily into the social discontent of the indigenous population. And once the revolution broke, went on for over a decade, and the consequences were not only deep, they were painful. I know, here we go again. Food scarcity, riots, looting, displacement, all of these halted agricultural activities nationwide, and markets were at the brink of extinction. But, traumatic as all revolutions are, eventually the Mexican society began patching itself together and the unstoppable 1920s pushed the country, ready or not, into a world where the industrial race sandwiched Mexico between modernity and a broken agricultural system that miraculously managed to turn itself around. Now, even with the advent of supermarkets in the following decades, markets, tianguis and fairs remain deeply rooted in our national identity as places where we exercise unspoken rituals of conviviality. More surprisingly, I would even say admirably, traditional indigenous markets, where bartering is still practiced these days, represent a moving triumph of the resilience and pride of our native indigenous communities. And may I add, they are a true joy and a privilege to experience. We will return with the show after this short break. Paz de Chipotle podcast is a show that is free for everyone to listen everywhere in the world which is why you can now find it on iTunes, Teacher, Player FM, Google Play, and YouTube. Now, in order to keep this project alive, 
and out there where amazing listeners like you can find it and enjoy it, I want to ask your support by rating and writing a short review on whichever app you are using to enjoy this episode. This will help the podcast grow and bring more of the thought-provoking content you enjoy. And I know you will do it because you are such a supportive and wonderful audience. So thank you for joining this wonderful adventure. Okay, now for this final section of today's episode, I have prepared a special treat for you. And this is the Market Hall of Fame. Mexico has 32 states and 2,464 cities, so it's next to impossible to list every existing market in the country. I know you agree with me, right? Which is why I selected 10 noteworthy, fascinating, unique, quirky markets that I really think you should visit. And this list simply reflects my own analysis and opinion of places that I really think you should visit should you come to Mexico. So, here we go. In place number 10, we have Xochimilco. The floating allotments of Xochimilco are now part of UNESCO's list of globally important agricultural heritage systems. And it's really fascinating that these allotments, that were once the powerhouse of the Aztec capital, are still alive and producing to this day. Over the centuries, Xochimilco, the lake, and also the allotments have been at the brink of extinction due to pollution, abandonment, and overexploitation. But the organized local community, with the help of experts, have slowly transformed it into a more environmentally and economically sustainable project. Now, the most popular tourist attraction in Xochimilco is to take a tour on board of the beautifully decorated boats called trajineras that glide along the ancient canals while visitors enjoy an array of food and music bands that come and go. But it's really worth making time to visit the actual allotments, interact with the local farmers and understand more about this time capsule because it's a true living relic of the pre-Columbian world. Market number 9. La Merced La Merced is one of the most diverse and accessible markets within Mexico City. When traveling the pink metro line, one can literally smell La Merced a few stations before you arrive. Visiting this market guarantees a memorable experience. Understandably, as a tourist, you won't be able to buy products to take home and cook, but you can all the same enjoy the plentiful displays of tantalizing fruits and vegetables, as well as enjoying a hearty and cheap meal at the many eateries and food stalls of the market. Market number eight. Sonora. 
This is a very singular market in Mexico City, and actually it has nothing to do with food, but with hundreds of herbal and less conventional remedies that are part of the rich culture of shamanism and spiritual healers that exist since pre-Columbian times in Mexico. In spite of being a deeply Catholic society, Mexicans navigate quite comfortably through ritualistic practices so for those looking for a shortcut to make their dreams come true, the market of Sonora might provide the right love spell potion, lotion, amulet, and even call for blessings of saints, angels, and why not, if the case requires it, even the holy death. All of these and more only at the Sonora market. Market number six, the La Colula. Less than an hour away from the city of Oaxaca, the town of Tlacolula de Matamoros is one of the most famous Sunday markets of the region that bring together sellers and buyers from the surrounding valleys. According to official records, there is an average of 1,400 stalls every weekend, so you can expect really crowded streets in this market. The products sold here include seeds, produce, meats, pottery, wool, bread, carpets, clothes, kitchenware, and even livestock. The food section is particularly vast. Many of the sellers, especially women that come from the nearby communities, wear the traditional costumes. And if you pay enough attention, you can often hear them speak Zapotec and Mije, two of the most common languages of the region. Now, one special announcement before we continue with the last five markets. On the YouTube version of this episode, you will find images and maps about these amazing top 10 markets. Visit the blog post on my website where you will find links and extra information about the markets and how to visit them. Go to pazichipotle.com or find the link on this episode's description. Now, back with the last five markets. Market number five, Mercado de San Juan. Just in case you thought Mexicans were used to all kinds of weird and wonderful foods, well, think again, because there is a handful of speciality markets where you can find unusual meats, even for our own standards. Crocodile, lion, ostrich, wild boar, armadillo, snake, skunk, and even iguana downtown in Mexico City, and that is the market of San Juan, which also specializes in gourmet products that include cured meats, cheeses and mushrooms, amongst other things. If you're not planning on cooking, but if you want to visit a different market and enjoy a less common meal, you can certainly find all of this and more at the Mercado de San Juan. Market number four, Atlixco. This city is at least 2,000 years old and has a long history of trade. Less than 150 years ago, this was a thriving industrial hub with many textile factories and wheat mills. It is dubbed as the city of the eternal spring because Atlixco has an enviable semi-tropical climate, an abundance of underground rivers, springs and streams, and it is framed by the iconic view of the Popocatépetl and Ixtaccíhuatl volcanoes. Its cover market is famous for its many eateries 
but especially for the irresistible market tacos or tacos placeros. What makes it really unique is the fact that as you walk through the stalls, you can choose from different cuts of meat and they are cooked for you right on the spot. And while you take a seat in the communal tables, you can purchase salads, salsas, cheeses, tortillas, refreshers and all sorts of trimmings to make your own tacos. Everything is sourced by a plethora of sellers that complement each other perfectly. Honestly, there is no fancy salad bar or buffet that can dream to rival this wonderful ecosystem of tacos. Market number three, Cholula. Cholula prides itself in being the oldest city of all of Mesoamerica. It's even older than Atlixco and has a real solid urban and agricultural tradition. So this place knows a thing or two about markets. During the golden age of the Aztec Empire, Cholula was the financial and diplomatic center of its time. Its famous markets often outshone to those of Tenochtitlan in the capital. Today, the municipal market offers a true cornucopia of products, crafts, food for all kinds of cravings, and its unmissable gorditas and quesadillas made with blue corn masa. You can find side-by-side side modern products like sweets, clothes, tools, as well as traditional homemade kitchenware, grinding stones, metates, molcajetes, tortilla presses, spices, and medicinal herbs. It really has it all. Market number two, Central de Abasto of Mexico City. This is Mexico City's biggest wholesale market, otherwise known as Central de Abasto. It sources alone 80% of the total of fruits and vegetables that the capital consumes on a daily basis. It is located in the working-class district of Iztapalapa, and the construction of this impressive market started in 1981. It has 1,934 stalls of fruits and vegetables alone and 1,222 stalls of groceries, ready-made food and other products and services distributed in eight buildings. Central de Abasto is so big that it has its own transport system and parking areas that are just big enough to feed the nearly 1,000 vehicles like trailers and trucks. Besides this, there is a daily influx of approximately 55,000 vehicles that source nearly 30,000 tons of produce and groceries. Visiting Central de Abastos is definitely not your average trip to the Tesco Express or your nearest Walmart. You really don't want to miss this impressive market. And market numero uno, Quetzalan. I have a special appreciation for this market for several reasons. First, this is one of the few indigenous markets that still preserve much of its historical and cultural identity. Quetzalan del Progreso is a rural community at the heart of the semi-tropical northern mountains of the state of Puebla in central Mexico, where more than half of the population is bilingual and speaks Spanish and Nahuatl. This world-famous market takes place every Saturday and Sunday, and the little town's streets are overtaken by hundreds of stalls where crafts, produce, clothes, tools and food are sold. This is one of the many coffee-producing regions of Mexico, 
and as you walk you can smell waves of the intense deep aroma of freshly ground and roasted coffee. And as you explore the steep cobble streets, you feel suddenly enveloped by the thick smell of vanilla, old spice, chilies and a huge variety of fruits and vegetables that are sold around you. Eating right at the market offers a unique opportunity to see traditional cooks prepare and serve the many local treats like layoyos, which is a corn dough dumpling filled with broad bean paste, topped with salsas, onion, cheese and cream. Mm. Experiencing this market is an opportunity to have a glimpse into the intimate life of indigenous communities the grace and dignity with which they hold on to their traditions and the patience and friendliness with which they welcome visitors is really heartwarming. Wow, we've reached the end of this episode. This two-part special really is a conversation starter about the importance of markets as the lifeline that keeps our rich culinary tradition alive. And remember that at the beginning of the episode I said I have a special announcement to make? Well, at the moment I'm working on my next editorial project, which, surprise, is a book about Mexican markets and their delicious food. If you want to receive exclusive updates about my current and upcoming projects, sign up to my newsletter. You can find the link on this episode's description. I really hope these two episodes had awakened your curiosity to explore and know more about the incredible cultural wealth in Mexico's traditional markets. I think that in our current political, environmental and economic climate, it is also our duty to be more mindful about the impact of our food choices and the global consequences they bring. And equally important is the added cultural value we consume and help continue when we support our local traditional economies. Thank you for listening. Now let's go to some closing credits and I'll tell you what's next for the upcoming episode. This episode was written and produced by me, Rocío Carvajal. You can contact me via email, Twitter or Instagram. Find all the links on this episode's description or go to pastechipotle.com. The next episode is going to be a great fun to put together because I'm making the best bits of the interviews that I've presented on the show so far, featuring Meli Martinez from Mexico in My Kitchen, Dr. Deborah Toner talking about pulque and alcohol in Mexico, Chef Sean Horrell and the art of tortilla and taco making, Sonia Garcia from La Piña en la Cocina, Little Herds and Merci Mercado talking about edible insects, Yolanda Ocon and the supper club scene in London, Douglas Cullen who talked about what it's like to move to Mexico and start eating Mexican food, Nicole Macrinos and the use of food to teach Mexican culture, and Carla Sasueta and what it's like to teach Mexican cooking in England. So that's it for this week, my friends. Until the next time. <laughs>